Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season two of Success Theory. I'm your host, Andrew Flowers, and I'm excited to have here a new lineup of guests for you guys uh, this season. And I'm sure that they're going to pack a punch and inspire you to take some serious action and start moving uh, the needle in your business, in your life, and, and on your journey to uh, success or whatever it is that you may be striving for. Uh, today on the first episode of season two, I'm honored to have my friend and mentor, uh, Kevin Youngblood, stopping by to chat. Kevin is a decorated veteran, former mayor, and a former CEO and founder of Odysseyware, an education technology company that sold for over $100 million in 2016. Uh, so in the next 40 minutes, we'll talk about experiences from Operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm, uh, how to look at the silver lining of life, and how to uh, successfully start, scale, and sell a business. So if you're an entrepreneur looking to gain an edge in venture financing, this is an episode that you don't want to miss. Mr. Youngblood, how are you doing today? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Pleasure to be on here with you. And uh, you're, a, you're a great entrepreneur yourself, young man. you got a great future and uh, I like hanging out with guys like you. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a privilege to, to have you on here today. So, Kevin, just so my audience knows a little bit more about you, I know you have a little introduction. Do, would you mind touching on, on some of your, uh, you know, what you are, who you are, what you do, what you're all about in your early childhood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early childhood. Dear Lord, that goes a long way back. I'm kidding. Um, I grew up a uh, son of a minister. My dad has been a minister, uh, minister for 50 some odd years, 55. Uh, incredible human being. He and my mother have given their life to bless other people and to uh, invest in their lives. And so, uh, in fact, his dad, my grandfather, was a minister as well. So I learned from an early age uh, about loving people and uh, valuing people and treating people like you'd want to be treated, uh, the golden rule. And so uh, I saw in their life uh, giving back, helping other people, sacrificially doing things for other people. Uh, and so people just assumed as I grew up that I, that's what I was going to do. I was going to go in the family business of ministry. Uh, but I found uh, that I was gifted with business. I found I was gifted with uh, organizational type things. And uh, so it played out. But yeah, I started off in, uh, in the home of a minist in ministry uh, and uh, great, great childhood. Were you always an entrepreneur? Were you born with that with that mindset? Yeah, yeah, I probably was. I I remember selling um, uh, memberships uh, for the American Heart Association at probably nine years old. I went door to door. So I don't forget what I was selling, but I was selling like a, grit newspapers. I think is what it was, and I was selling those door to door to raise money for uh, American Heart Association. I always was creative. I always had the thought, okay, why does it work that way? You know, why, why do, why do things, why, why are they put together like that? And so I always had a curiosity about me and uh, it played out in business. Mm -hmm. Were your parents entrepreneurs by any means? But yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad, even though he was in ministry, he also, he always, he always uh, ministered at real small churches. Uh, there wasn't a lot of security, uh, financial security there. And so uh, he always had to do some little hustle on the side to put food on the table. When there's six kids, I'm the oldest of six kids. And uh, when there's six kids, man, you gotta, you gotta find some way to put the groceries on the table. And so 
uh, he did. And, and, I, and of course, that showed me what hard work was all about. And I realized that uh, if I was ever going to make something of my life, I was going to have to get after it. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Appalachia, uh, in Northeast Georgia. We can trace our family back to 1739. Most of my, uh, almost all of my kinfolk, my ancestors were farm laborers. Uh, my great grandfather uh, could not read and write his own name on the census documents. It's check the box, cannot read, cannot write. Um, and so, uh, you know, I grew up from that mindset, hardworking people, people of the land. And, uh, that's where I came from. My mom's side of the family is from Tennessee. Uh, and again, Appalachia, uh, uh, you know, where you do all kind of little hustles on the side just to get food on the table and be able to take care of your family. Mm -hmm. So when you were in high school, what was that? Who was the, the high school age uh, Kevin Youngblood? Well, uh, I wasn't that good at school, which is, which is kind of interesting because I later became a teacher. Um, but I, uh, I enjoyed sports. Uh, sports was a big deal. I played football, baseball, basketball. Um, I wasn't great. Uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, some super athlete, but I was a good athlete. And um, uh, enjoyed sports and really liked history because uh, there's a lot of historical type things in and around Appalachia that you can avail yourself of. And uh, so, uh, you know, it was nothing for us to go to a battlefield and uh, the Civil War or the Revolutionary War and map it out and everything. So I really took a liking to history. Um, but, uh, yeah, sports was, sports was the big thing. Mm -hmm. So you decided to serve our country in both operations, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Uh, what was it that kind of made you want to enlist and what inspired you to make that decision? Yeah, great question. Well, just to clarify, I didn't actually desire or seek out Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I joined the Marine Corps and that's where they told me to go. So I'm kidding. Um, I had always wanted to go in the Marines. There was something about the Marines that, uh, you know, they, their motto was the few, the proud, the brave. Uh, another motto they had was maybe you can be one of us. And I just thought, man, if you're going to do something, do, do tough stuff. And uh, that's another mantra of my life uh, that I try to encourage young people. Don't do easy stuff. Go do tough stuff. If you do tough stuff, it gives you confidence. If you don't ever do, if you don't ever face tough stuff in your life, uh, when when things come along that are discouraging, you'll quit. You'll find mm -hmm. an easy way to just you know get out of it. But if you do tough stuff, then life becomes simple. So I wanted to go in when I was eighteen uh, into the Marine Corps, and my dad and I had a couple of conversations, and uh, he talked me out of it. He recommended that I go off to college and and uh, found my wife there and uh, it was a great uh, you know uh, if for no other reason than meeting my wife it was a great experience and uh, so I came back and I was actually married uh, and I got this idea that um, I want to you know get involved uh, uh, you know in the military and so I decided to sign up so I called the marine recruiter up you'll love this being a being a sales guy like this I called him up and I said, okay, uh, uh, hey, this is who I am. 
I'm going to be by uh, this afternoon to sign the paperwork. I want to go in the reserves, a uh, six by two contract, and I want to go to boot camp first week of June. And you know what the guy did? He started trying to sell me on the Marine Corps. He, he pulled out all of his feature benefit statements and he started trying to tell me why the Marine Corps was the greatest thing since sliced bread and why that I needed to join. And I was like, whoa, time out, dude. I already bought the Marine Corps. I already bought it, man. You don't need to sell me anymore. Just have the paperwork ready. So we hung up the phone and uh, I'll never forget, I was teaching, finished up class, and then I drove over to the recruiting depot, uh, the recruiting station, and I expected him to have all the paperwork filled out. I got there. No, didn't have anything. He wanted to put me through a sales pitch. He started the whole thing again, you know, 10 November, 1775 birth birthplace of the Marine Corps Tun Tavern, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you know, all these major battles. And I was like, Whoa, dude, listen, I've already bought the Marine Corps. Anyway, it was a great experience. Uh, went off to Paris Island, South Carolina, uh, and spent, uh, one of the toughest years of my life that summer. Uh, it was tough physically. It was tough emotionally, tough mentally. But here's the neat thing that came out of that, Andrew. Um, there were 77 of us that started in that platoon. And due to a series of administrative things and injuries and people getting dropped and other stuff, we wound up graduating 49. There were 49, so we dropped 28 people uh, from the platoon. And I, uh, hard to believe this, I know, but I wound up graduating as the honor graduate. I was the number one graduate of the entire group. And uh, to this day, in fact, this week, Andrew, I was on the phone with one of my old Marine buddies who was at boot camp with me. And about every five years we get together and it is, it's a, it's a neat thing. When you go through the Marine Corps uh, or you do something tough like that, there is a camaraderie and a brotherhood that, that comes together that, you know, it's, it's hard to explain, but, but it really is a neat thing. Mm -hmm. So what would you say, I guess, what are some of the lessons that you learned? If you had one or two life lessons that you got out of doing all that? Yeah, yeah, going in the Marine Corps, I would tell you this, do tough stuff, uh, be aggressive, um, uh, take action, take responsibility. You are responsible for your life. That's the one of the things that is impounded, uh, pounded on you in the Marine Corps. Don't blame it on somebody else. It's yours. You own it. Whatever the situation is, you might have had 5% of the, of the uh, wrongdoing in the deal, but own it be the take responsibility for your life. Uh, and that's something I try to encourage young people like yourself is, is that if you want to change something in your life, you got to change something in your life. You got to, you got to own it and go out and do something differently. Uh, I also learned that um, uh, in the Marines that if you want to go fast, you go by yourself, but if you want to go far, you got to go with a team. And when they took 77 of us, most of us had never marched before in a platoon. Most of us didn't know anything about firing a rifle at 500 yards. Most of us had no idea about how to don and clear a face, a, a gas mask. But after they teach you, literally, man, you hear those the 77 boots hitting that pavement at the exact same second. It's powerful, man, of what they can do as a unit. So... So you, you see that apply a lot to entrepreneurship, being a part of a, a team? 
Yeah, well, entrepreneurship, we tend to think of it as a, as a solo sport. We tend to think of it as this one brilliant person who did. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've never met an entrepreneur that did it by himself. It takes a team. And you've always, you're, you're going to have blind spots. You're going to have weaknesses. And there's no way you can compensate for all of that. So you better hire good people. And you better hire people that push you. Don't just hire people that do what you want them to do. You better hire smart people that are going to push you and make you better. Uh, and so a team is going to accomplish a lot more. You know, we tend to get, we tend to praise and bring the, the accolades to a Steve Jobs for what he did with Apple or a Bill Gates or what he did with Microsoft. But I'm going to tell you something. It takes a team, you know, uh, uh, Truett Cathy did not build Chick-fil-A all by himself. I mean, I've been to his, I used to go as a young kid and my dad would take me to the original restaurant there in East Point, right off the airport, uh, runway there in Atlanta. And, uh, you don't build an empire like that by yourself. So you may have one person who has the drive, the motivation, the idea to get the momentum going, but it's going to take a team. So kind of, jumping off of that and switching gears in 2001, I know, and you talk about this as you founded Odyssey, where it was a education technology company um, that was focused on helping at risk kids in school. What kind of led up to that? What kind of culminated and uh, what was going through your mind in, I guess, September of 2001, right before you got into that? Yeah, 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 yeah. We launched the thing in February of 2001 I started, uh, we started putting the product together. We were taking an existing product and modifying it and adding and, and editing and stuff. And I started selling in July. And then uh, lo and behold, 9-11 came along <laughs> 60 days later. Most people would have said terrible timing. But here's one of the things I've discovered is that if, if times are tough, most people are heading for the exits. And if they head for the exits, man, that's the perfect time to be running into the middle of the building, you know? Um, so uh, I charged the situation, go after it. I had spent most of my life uh, working in and around uh, kids that were, that needed an individualized approach to education. A lot of kids uh, that I dealt with in, in youth ministry or nonprofit work were kids that were struggling, that didn't have a lot of the same uh, family systems that I had been growing up. And so I just kept thinking, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to educate kids and customize it to the way they need to learn. I, most education today asks the wrong question. And I'll get, I, you know, this is something I know I'll take a lot of fire from educators on, but that's okay. They can be wrong. I'm just kidding. Um, most education today asks the question, how does a teacher teach? And everything is structured around how helping that teacher teach. That's the wrong question. The question should be, how does a learner learn? How does a person pick up information? How do they retain information? How do they collate? How do they assimilate? How do they, how do they then act that information out? Mm -hmm. How does it move from knowledge to understanding to wisdom? And so um, you know, where you're acting on that information. And so uh, I just kept thinking there's got to be a better way. And uh, lo and behold, we found uh, some technology and some content and stuff and enabled us to start putting the thing together. 
uh, and hit the road running. And I started selling the idea even before the product was done. Uh, in fact, that's another thing for entrepreneurs. Uh, crazy, crazy thought. I'm going to tell you, and you're going to think I've lost my mind. Go build your sales team first and then go build your product. Most people have it totally the backwards way. They want to go build a product and then they hope, guess, pray that somebody's going to buy the thing. Build your sales team, start with you and go sell the idea and say, all right, now if I build this, is this something you would buy? Now you got something. So I use the letter of intent, for example, anytime that we're rolling out a product or something, we go out and we get a letter of intent and we say, hey, hypothetically, if I build this and I give you A and B and C and D and it costs this amount of money and I can deliver it in this date, is that something you'd buy? And if they won't buy it, you don't have product market fit. If they will buy it, now you got something. So I would say go build your sales efforts first before you go build a product. And I know that's crazy, that's crazy and backwards, but that's okay. Well, obviously it's worked for you. I mean, you did about what? 1.2 million in sales without even having the final product ready for delivery, right? Product, product was being developed. We went out and started selling it, beating the bushes. That's, that's amazing. So I guess kind of taking that, like when did you realize that you needed to build out a sales system in Odysseyware? And how did you go about learning how to do that? Did you have some knowledge from other business ventures or did you read a lot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I read a lot. And that's how you pick people's brains is you read a lot. And I ask a lot of dumb questions. I mean, there were things that I thought I knew the answer to, but I'd still ask the question anyway, because somebody will give you a concept or an angle or a thought that maybe you hadn't, you hadn't thought of. And so, um, uh, transitioning back to your question of how did you build a sales team? I, that was the, one of the most fun things I ever did, but it was one of the most difficult because I had things in my mind that I thought of how to sell, how to pitch the idea. And it was hard for me to teach that to other people. I had to really slow down and think about it. Now, wait a minute. Why is that? What is the dynamic of, um, uh, of the thing? I think it's uh, uh, Corey Frank, uh, uh, one of my key buddies and friends. I may not get this exactly right, but he said that people buy stuff or people value things. They will chase things moving away from them and they will value things that they can't have and they will appreciate things that they pay for. And so, and he, I'm sure he may have got that from somebody else too. And that's okay. We, we borrow ideas. It works. Um, so I had to build a sales team and I'm going to tell you, I made a lot of mistakes. In fact, I'll just tell you, I was one of the worst people in the world at picking salespeople. And the reason was, is because as an entrepreneur, I needed a body who could sell. And so in the interview, if a person convinced me, if they started selling me, I was like, shoot, man, if they can sell me, They'll, they'll be a piece of cake selling this product. And it just wasn't true. I needed a system. And I had a dear friend, Bob Campbell, who helped me see that and who helped me visualize that you got to come up with a systematic approach to people. And one of the things we did was launch an inside sales team. And it was an incredible laboratory for testing and teaching where we would get them on the phones they would present, have a conversation. We'd pull them off the phones, do some teaching, find out what's holding you up. What, what are you struggling with? We'd go through some teaching, get them back on the phones. 
is an incredible teaching and learning environment, which is what we're launching again now, excitedly enough, at uh, Grand Canyon University. And I'm very excited about that, this inside sales concept. Yeah, awesome. We'll, we'll touch on that in a second. Um, so what would be your advice to some young entrepreneurs out there? I know there's a lot that are in my sphere of influence that I talk to on the daily who, uh, whether they have a startup, you know, I can think of a few that have a startup that's working and um, it's growing, but they want to get to a point where it's all, you know, considered a you know, quote unquote legit business, right? Because you have, I know our, our, our buddy Robert talks about it a lot. You know, if you're not reaching, say, you know, of course, respective of the industry and the business model, but you're not reaching a million dollars in revenue a year. You're not, you know, it's more of a side project in some people's eyes, that sort of thing. What would be your advice to, to helping people be able to emulate and duplicate what it is that works uh, and how to pick those salespeople? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of things I could say. Uh, let me just give you two or three things, and you, you know, you tell me if it's on track with with where you're trying to where your thinking is. The biggest thing, number one, is you got to learn how to sell. If you cannot move the revenue needle in your business, all you got's a class project. I have met people who had the most beautiful website. Good night, man! Hundreds of thousands of dollars they poured into it. Beautiful looking product. Great team but nobody's selling anything. All you got's a class project. On the other hand, if you give me a young lady and she don't even have a website, she don't even have a product, she don't even have a team, nobody even knows about her, but she's got people willing to pay her money for what she's doing, she got a business. And so what I would say is, is learn how to sell. And you're going to be bad at it until you get good at it. Sales is not something you're born with. It's something you, in fact, the people that we normally think are born salespeople are terrible because they talk too much. You sell with your ears. You sell with what is heard. What are you listening to? What is the statement behind the statement? What's the question behind the question? And it's those listening skills that are the key to the sales. Second thing I would say is, is learn how to fill strip a set of, a set of financials. Look at a set of financials, tell you the blood pressure of the business. They tell you the heart rate of the business. They tell you the sales, whether they're dying or living. They tell you where there's overload. Those numbers tell you a lot and learn how to get in there, become familiar with them. Now, you don't have to be an accountant. If you want to, that's okay. But you don't have to be some master of the numbers, but be so familiar with them. So you can know the heartbeat of that business and tri and pick up quickly on where it's failing. Uh, uh, and then the last thing is surround yourself with great leaders. You're going to make mistakes. You can't think of everything. You're not fast enough, smart enough, good looking enough. So just surround yourself with really sharp people that are going to push your brain and make you think. If you walk away from your, look at your closest circle. Who are the people you spend the most time with? Those are the people you're going to become like. So if you're surrounded by smart people and you walk away with your head hurting, thinking, man, alive, I'm the dumbest guy in this room. You're in the right room. If you're in the room and you are the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Good, good advice. Um, so kind of taking that, that sales conversation a little bit further, 
You're a big advocate of phone calls and that conversation. Um, to some who, you know, they may think that's a little bit outdated. What would be your argument to, to people, a lot of, especially the younger generation, who says, I can just send out, you know, thousands of LinkedIn messages or emails at scale? What's, what's your argument uh, to them, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's not a case of either or. It's really both and. You got to do both because uh, with technology and some of the systems that are in place, it'd be dumb not to use that technology to help you get in the zone. And so you're talking to the right people. Here's the reason that phone calls and personal visits is, is remote is because there are three possible answers to every sales decision. There's yes, there's no, there's delay. Yes is good. No is good. Delay is terrible. You've had a conversation with them. You've identified a potential need that they have. You've uncovered this need. You've proposed a solution. You deserve an answer. Get that answer. Yes or no. Either one of them you're willing to live with. You can't do that through an email. You cannot do that through social media. Uh, you've got to be knee to knee with somebody and talk about their problems and have the conversation and that deep penetrating questions that uncover what the real problem is and what the need is. Um, you know, I'm, again, I'm old school. I just don't see it ever, ever being replaced. Nothing beats one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, where you talk, where you empathize with somebody, you find out what the real need is, you serve them and you offer a solution and you ask for the right to serve them. That's what a sale is. That's awesome. So in 2016, after all the hard work, Odysseyware sold for over a hundred million dollars. Uh, what what went through your mind when you know you realized and the team came back to you and said that the company had sold for nine figures? What was that like? It was cool. I don't mean lie. I'm not going to lie to you. It was one of the greatest. You know, I explained to people the three most important days in my life. Third most important day in my life was in 2016, uh, when I was able to give away more money in one day than uh, a lot of people make in their lifetime. Um, I was able uh, to set up an educational trust. My dad was the first person in our family to ever go to college. Uh, and my wife and I were able to set up an educational trust. And thus far we've sent 19 students through college, uh, full ride. And one of my goals before I die is 35. I want to send 35 kids through college uh, and that's a beautiful thing. People that normally could not make it, could, wouldn't be able to, you know, go to college. Uh, second most important day in my life is in 1985 when the prettiest girl at the dance agreed to marry me. I mean, that was the biggest sell I ever made right there, Andrew, convincing her to marry me, man. That was like, I, people still to this day wonder, how'd you close that deal, dude? And, uh, but I did. So she was in, she's been an incredible partner. And then the number one most important day in my life is the day that uh, Christ came into my life and uh, my faith walk. It totally changed who I am. Uh, you know, um, Jesus is either who he said he was or he's not. And if he's not, then it's religion's a waste of time. But if he is huge, huge conversation people need to have regarding their spiritual destiny and it changed my life. 100%. What, so kind of jumping off of that, what, uh, what would you say 
in terms of Christianity and how it relates to business and conscious capitalism, especially um, being in the U.S. and and kind of the capitalist society. What do you have to say? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, first off, uh, every business at its core is a service to other people. Without serving other people, you don't have anything. You, if you don't serve other people, you got nothing. And so you've got to provide a product or a service and serve other people. Find out what do they really need and provide that. Uh, be a servant. That's one thing that Christianity provides. Uh, free enterprise is the greatest economic system ever designed, ever. Nothing's even close. And it has produced more wealth. It has raised more people up. Uh, it has raised the boat for so many people. It's incredible. Now, is it perfect? Absolutely not. Uh, there are people who manage, uh, who let greed take over. There are people that uh, get in government and steal. They use government office to steal from people uh, through a variety of mechanisms. Uh, if you're a business owner and you don't take care of your people, uh, you're going to fail at some point. It may take a while. You know, we don't, things don't happen overnight necessarily. Somebody makes poor decisions involving people. It may be 20 years before they realize the results, but he's going to kill your business. So at the end of the day, you got to take care of people. And uh, that's what Christianity is all about. And that's what free enterprise is all about. Find a problem, solve it, serve other people, and then be generous. You know, be, create abundance and then give back. Mm -hmm. So what would you, I guess, you know, what are you up to now? Because I know we've talked about this before. You've been gen very generous with your time, both in the Phoenix startup community and in Arizona as a whole. Uh, I know you've served on the board of ASU Center for Entrepreneurship and, and some other organizations. What's currently going on that you're involved in and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right now I'm currently involved. I'm up in Flagstaff, man, as you can see the deer head on the wall. I try to tell people I killed that deer, and that's not true. I've got it in a garage. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm up here in the woods. I figure if I've got a shelter in place with this COVID-19 thing, I might as well do it looking at a mountain with some snow on it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, but I was on the ASU Center for Entrepreneurship Board. And then uh, about this time last year, uh, Grand Canyon University uh, reached out and asked me if I'd be interested in working with them to launch uh, Canyon Ventures, which is an incubator. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible thing. We took over the back part of a, of a swap meet building. Uh, we brought in founders. We got 38 businesses in there. They've hired 93 GCU students. Uh, and so it's an incredible thing uh, for the city of Phoenix and the West Valley uh, for years to come. It's going to do neat things. Uh, I invest in companies. Uh, it has to be the right type of company, uh, but I invest in certain companies. Uh, I'm still heavily involved as an advisor for ed tech companies. People want to pick my brain because of my experience and stuff. Uh, and then uh, I like hanging out with young people like yourself, a lot of GCU students and GCU grads. I like hanging out with you guys and listening to your story and, and seeing if I can share uh, in your story and share some insight or some wisdom uh, from something I've learned. Uh, one thing that I'm doing that's not directly related to business is I happen to be the chairman of the board for a, a local Arizona organization called Local First Arizona, which is doing incredible work. Uh, with small entrepreneurs, small rural communities. Uh, the principle is buy local first. 
rather than buying from Wall Street, buy from Main Street. Buy from your neighbor and so uh, and invest in their businesses and help them. And I'm, I'm honored to serve as the chairman of the board of that great organization. It is pound for pound the greatest nonprofit I've ever worked with. Uh, they get more done. Uh, it's incredible. And uh, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, we, my wife and I run the ed an educational trust, as I mentioned, sending kid, uh, certain kids to college. Uh, we have a pretty restrictive bar. They, the kids have got to demonstrate they have the need and the drive to do it. Uh, but that's, uh, we do that. Uh, what else am I involved in? Um, that's probably it, man. Wow. That's a, that's a lot. So your, your schedule is probably pretty busy 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. 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 I have a lot on my plate, but I, again, you like giving back and serving other people. It's, it's neat. Definitely. So as I kind of, as I kind of wrapping up here, just a few more questions. So this one's kind of an interesting one. Um, might've thrown you a curveball, but in a hundred years, say that, uh, science and technology is not able to save humans. Um, but there was a book that was left about your life. What would it be called? And what would the back cover say? Look at you, man. Deep stuff, buddy. Dropping the hammer on me. You make, you gonna make an old guy think here. <laughs> um, I would say, let me, let me just riff a little bit and give you two or three things. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing that it would say is, is by granny, if that guy can do it, anybody can. Um, and, and I hope, I, I hope my life would give people hope. I hope they would look at it and say a really good guy, generous guy was successful and uh, was able to help other people and, and be a shining light. Uh, I would say, uh, uh, keep God in the middle of your life. There is a God and you're not him. And so when you realize that there's a great big God out there, uh, it totally changes a lot of the way you view things. And, uh, so the other thing I would say is, is focus on your family. Uh, focus on investing in those that are closest to you. Um, uh, have high expectations. Don't do e don't do easy stuff. Do tough stuff. Find the toughest thing you can do and go do it. Are you going to fail? I guarantee it. My, and a lot of people today don't like failure. They try to structure everything in life to prevent failure. And the problem is failure is the greatest teacher in life. Failure is teaching. So when you try to avoid failure, you're avoiding teaching. You're avoiding being instructed in how life works. So do the tough stuff uh, and be generous. Build stuff that's going to last a long time, hopefully. Uh, and But build it so that you're generous to other people uh, and you, uh, you bless them. And the last thing I would say is laugh. Man, as you, as you know, Andrew, hanging out with me, man, I'm going to try to make you smile I'm going to try to make you laugh because life's short and people are carrying heavy burdens. Uh, a lot of times I'll walk out of a restaurant. My kids hate this. I mean, they just despise that I do this, but it works every time. We'll go walking out of a restaurant after we've just eaten and people will be walking in and I'll just say, Hey folks, I'm sorry, but we cleaned them out. They got nothing left. We wiped them out. They got nothing. And every time people will say, no way, man, come on, man. You didn't eat everything. Surely you saved me a chicken bone or something, you know? 
And the whole purpose of that is to make them smile. The whole purpose of that is to make them, you know, smile at themselves, lighten their load a little bit. So I would say invest in laughter and invest in uh, making people smile. And it starts with laughing at yourself. If you don't take yourself so seriously, dude, life's a lot easier. If you take yourself seriously, train wreck, dumpster fire. So what would you say if you had to give, you know, some advice to um, starting entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, college students who are getting ready to go out uncertain, especially with what's going on uh, with this pandemic right now, what would be your advice? Don't talk, act. A lot of people want to talk a good game. Go show me what you got. Get out there and start serving people and start doing stuff. And you will find that the forces of the universe will bend in the favor and in the direction of the one who acts. Powerful stuff right there. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, Where can people find more about you, learn more about you, get in touch, get access to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, stop by the Grand Canyon University Canyon Ventures if you want to just see what an amazing work that I just happen to be uh, part of the whole process. That's a great thing. Uh, if you want to go to a website, go to youngblood.works, W-O-R-K-S. And the last thing I'll tell you is get to work. Definitely. I love it, Kevin. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, it means a lot. Appreciate you, my friend. Good luck, buddy.